You can't skip steps. And also you can't get stuck learning too much. Because I know a lot of people that want to learn too much, learn everything. You're not going to learn everything. At some point, you need to just take action and do it and learn along the way. Which for me, that's how I learn is taking action and learning from my mistakes, good or bad. And I know that about myself. That's, so that's what's helped me to mm-hmm. progress. Yeah, you've got to make mistakes. You got to take action. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to another episode of Weiss Advice. I am your host, as always, Yona Weiss. Happy to be here today with John Farlang. We always have great guests, so I'm excited to have another one here this morning. How are you doing, John? I'm great. Appreciate you having me on and hopefully can provide some value to everyone listening. I'm sure you will, as every guest does, because every guest, everyone has a different story. And that's really, as we were talking a little bit before, I just love highlighting that. You know, everyone has a different, you know, comes from a different place. The common denominator, obviously, on this podcast, if you're listening to it, it's about real estate. Really, that's what we talk about most of the time, although there's a lot of other stuff we dive into. So, but the amazing thing is, is people who invest in real estate come from all kinds of backgrounds and all walks of life. And it's amazing just to see everyone's story, how they got into it. Let's just start there, John. How did you get into real estate investing and when did that happen? Yeah, absolutely. So, I probably got the bug from my parents. They were in the real estate a little bit. They built spec homes as I was growing up. So I kind of, I was around it, always had an itch for it. But we'll take it back to 2014 when our daughter was born, our first kid. You know, just running numbers on providing for college, retirement numbers for myself. And I was working a sales job and making pretty good money, but I'm running these retirement calculators and I'm like, I'm never going to retire. So that kind of just got the wheels turning and actually, you know, bigger pockets actually I'm wearing the shirt today. Yeah, that wasn't planned. But yeah, bigger pockets really fueled everything from there. So 2015, bought my first single family rental and then bought three more, one per year, and then did a fix and flip in between there. So that brought me basically to what, 2019 and tried scaling because I knew I wanted out of my job that I'd started in 2008, I believe, 2009. It was an outside sales job, small family company. I knew I wanted out of that. And I knew real estate was going to get me there. I just didn't know how. So looked at apartments, industrial, anything you can look at, I looked at. was looking at car washes, which brought me to SBA loans, which basically you can bring less of a down payment to get into a larger asset. Right. Much more attractive. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pain to go through the process of getting the loan, but great product. The car wash thing didn't work out. And I quickly found that self-storage could be taken down with SBA loans. So Mike Wagner, Storage Rebellion, found him through Bigger Pockets, I believe, and kind of went down that path and started picking up self-storage facilities and quit my nine to five, what was it, August of 2020. So basically middle of COVID, I was able to leave my nine to five. That's awesome. And doing that, buying self-storage. So have you, since that point, have you really focused, doubled down on the self-storage business or are you still buying the single families or the residential properties? I sold my single families to get further into self-storage. So right now I've got eight self-storage facilities. I own myself, two others I'm passively 
invested in. I'm 100% self-storage. Gotcha. Yeah, right now, yeah. Awesome. Out of curiosity, did you go into the passive investments first before you took down your own ability to kind of learn the business at all? Or did you just pick that up along the way? When you say passive, what do you mean? You mentioned you had eight facilities and then two others that you're passively invested in. So those two, did they come first or did your properties come first? Mine came first. The one passive one, I'll talk about the first one in a little bit, but the one I just put money in, it's a buddy's, he owns it. He had a fun, just put some money in. The other one was kind of interesting. I found a deal when I live in Columbus, Ohio. All my facilities are in Ohio. I found another deal that was about two and a half hours from me, still in Ohio. But to me, it didn't make sense for my portfolio. So what I did was wholesale the deal and also kept a piece of equity in the deal. So I got a finder's or a wholesale fee and I still have equity in the deal. So kind of interesting. It wasn't my idea, so I can't take credit for it. But yeah, I was able to get some money up front and keep some equity. So kind of interesting. That's a good deal. I think that's actually a really smart way. A lot of people trying to get into real estate and figure out ways to find deals and do deals. Great example. You find a deal or a deal finds you, however it came about. And it's maybe doesn't meet your exact criteria and maybe doesn't meet, you know, whether it's the geographical location or what have you, you can find another buyer and wholesale that deal. And like John, like you did, keep a piece of the deal in there if they're open to that, or at least get a finder's fee. It's a great way to be involved in the transaction, be involved in the business. Obviously not the same as investing hundred percent because, but you are learning certain skills. So I would say, you know, definitely learn something right there from that transaction. Yeah. I mean, real estate is, I don't want to say either or, but you have the money and or the deal. That's really all you need. So if you can find a deal, you can either take it down yourself. You don't need the money. Or like you said, you know, if it doesn't fit your portfolio or you just want to get some cash and wholesale it and can get creative there. Now have all of these deals that you've done, the eight properties that you currently have, were they all walks in the park or did you have some seminars along the way? Yeah. Being, so my rental properties, I was technically the property manager for them. That helped build some callus just because storage is different. I use a third-party technically management company, kind of. I've got a call center answering phone calls. Then I have an operations manager that handles the day-to-day now. But when I started, I handled the day-to-day. And that meant at least visiting my site once a month. My first site, I was down there a lot. And I would say the biggest issues I've had, you're going to have break-ins, which for the most part, they're probably breaking into someone's unit. It's probably a family member, someone that's seen what's in the unit because they're not going to break into a hundred units and hope they hit the jackpot. That's somewhat rare. It does happen, but it's more rare. But the problem I've ran into is people living in the units. So my first facility, I remember driving to the facility and getting anxious because I had found, I think three different people living in units. So you're pulling up a door and you see someone laying in there. That's disturbing. Oh my goodness. So you figure out ways to get through that. And I didn't have gate cameras or anything at that point in time. That was the first couple of months of ownership while I was trying to get those capital improvements done. So yeah, over time they weed themselves out, but yeah, I still get people that try to live on site and now we've got a process to handle it and take care of it where I'm not on site. I don't deal with it. I don't see them. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. And you said it's more than once, right? (laughs) It's not. Oh yeah. What? Two weeks ago, we just kicked another one out. So it happens. Wow. It's more rare now just because I've got systems in place that 
deter those people from my facilities. But yeah, there's still some that try to do that. Cheap rent. Yeah, listen, I mean, it's pretty crazy what people will do nowadays. It's pretty wild to think about it. Unfortunately, there are neighborhoods and there are places where, you know, people are homeless. They don't have a place to live and they'll try to find whatever they can, whatever shelter they can. Obviously, that's not legal. I mean, what do you actually like? You don't have to file any eviction or anything like that. Like, what do you do? You call the police? How do those actually go down? That's the great thing about storage is the eviction process is so simple. And every state's different, just like rental properties. But yeah, if I find someone living on site or our local helper does, we'll first give them a warning, contact them, whether it's through text, phone call, email, whatever it is. Usually the address they give us isn't accurate, obviously, because they're living in a storage unit. So mailing them usually doesn't work. If we can't get a hold of them, we'll try to put some type of letter on their unit. So you can't live in here. If we catch you again, you're out. And our lease states that you can only store things in the storage unit. You can't live there. You can't conduct business, blah, 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 all that stuff. So yeah, if they're still in there after the first warning, then we'll give them a time frame. If we catch them within a week after that, then we just say, we're canceling your contract. You're out. You've got a week to get out. And we can lock them out from our software through the computer. We can lock them out at the gate. So we just push a button. They're locked out of the gate. So if they're getting in, they're hopping the fence to get in there right. to live there, which is rare. So usually once we lock them out of the gate, that kind of takes care of it. If they have some things in the unit, we'll say, here's a two-hour window. We'll give you gate access, get your stuff and get out. So for the most part, it's pretty simple. Most people say most people yeah. knock on wood, but just doing that gets them out. If not, then yeah, we'll get the police involved. Unbelievable. And you say these are actual people that would would pay for the storage space and then move in. Yeah. So I've only had, we'll call it two instances where the people weren't good for the facility other than living in the unit, right? Like the one was they had a giant knife, like it was like two foot long. We found it in their unit, drugs, drug paraphernalia, like everything you can think of. That was a bad renter all the way around. But for the most part, people that are living there, they've just hard times and you know they don't want to live there. They don't want to disrupt anything. And, and we just tell them like, hey, it's just, it's bad for business for us. And on top of, it's not good for our insurance. We blame it on the insurance company. Our insurance company will drop us if they find out you're living here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, for the most part, they listen, they get their stuff, they're out. And, but yeah, they're <laughs> every single one of them have been good at paying because for them, it's cheap rent. You know, they're of course $75 a month, hundred bucks a month, whatever it is. So they can make that payment. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. And to think, I mean, I don't know what, you know, I don't even want to think about what they're doing for bathroom facilities and things like that. Right. <laughs> That's... A lot of them, from what I've found, leave during the day and we'll come right. back, not to give you all the details, but we lock our facilities from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. That way they can't get in. If they want to come back at like 10 p.m., they can't get in. So yeah, they'd come back at like 8 p.m. and stay the night and leave at 7 a.m. Wow. Pretty crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy time we're living in. That's for sure. The people will stoop to that. But let's change the topic a little bit. We got a little more, uh, <laughs> a little brighter side of thing. No, but it's real. You know, this is the thing that, you know, we've talked about a lot of different asset classes on this show. We definitely talked about storage also. You know, AG Osborne was a great guest over here talking about that. Ryan Gibson, a lot of people that have been in the space. Have you learned? I mean, you said you started learning uh, a certain path, you know, with a, a mentor. I don't know if you mentioned it was a school of some kind where like a training program, like how did you pick up all that you needed to know to learn this business? Because it is a business, right? Self-storage into excel in it to own eight 
facilities and do it right profitable, which I assume you are, is not an easy task. So have you gone through any of these courses? Tell me a little bit more about that and how you're keeping up on the education. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So for me, underwriting, I was okay other than figuring out how I was going to run the facility and what those expenses were unmanned. So all my facilities are unmanned. That was the biggest hole for me. So I found Mike Wagner, Storage Rebellion, still part of his community. Awesome resource, awesome guy, great friend of mine now. And yeah, he basically filled that void for me, taught me how to run facilities unmanned. And that was the biggest thing for me was I couldn't wrap my head around. How are you going to rent a unit with nobody on site? Yeah, it's super simple, but he plugged that hole and that's really what I needed from him. And since then, I've obviously fine-tuned things. And as you said, it's a business. And as businesses grow, you need to pivot and figure things out too. So I'm, I'm heavily involved with his network and have a lot of friends out of that network where we collaborate and share ideas and you know helps all of our businesses. That's great. Oh, amazing. So, I mean, that's really what you need. Everyone needs that. So if you have a community and there's a lot of them out there, I actually, the first time I'm hearing of Mike Wagner, I think in his program, but there are plenty out there that are similar that are run. I can't speak for any of them myself because I've never taken any of them, but you know, like you found on bigger pockets, like go to bigger pockets. And I'm sure people have discussed it and many others who can, you know, that's a great thing about bigger pockets. There's such a resource and everything stays up there. So you can search and find whatever you're looking for. Yep. Yeah. Well, the biggest thing, you know, you've got to have kind of like a thirst for knowledge, right? Right. Because I've talked to so many people that want to get in, but they want to skip from A to Z without going through the whole thing. And you can't do that. You've got to learn the way or you've got to have a partner that, you know, will do the work. Yeah. But yeah, you can't skip steps. And also you can't get stuck learning too much. Because I know a lot of people that want to learn too much, learn everything. You're not going to learn everything. At some point, you need to just take action and do it and learn along the way, which for me, that's how I learn is taking action and learning from my mistakes, good or bad. And I know that about myself. That's So that's what's helped me to mm-hmm. progress. Yeah, you've got to make mistakes. You got to take action. And how many people at this point do you actually, because you mentioned you have, you're doing this remotely, meaning it's no staff really on the site itself. Do you have any staff that is you know, working for you on these properties? Technically, I don't have staff. I don't have employees, which I don't want to. I've got 1099 contractors. So each facility has a local person. That's our boots on the ground that picks up trash, gets units ready to rent when someone moves out. And then we'll use third-party vendors for weeds, cutting grass, any maintenance issues. And as I've grown, I've wanted to take myself out of day-to-day operations. So I have an operations manager now. And storage is super simple. It is a business, but the way mine is set up, it's super simple. It's, I don't know if it's even an hour a day of work in the day-to-day operations. That's probably a lot. Some days it can be too, but on average, it's not more than an hour a day. So my operations manager handles all that. He collaborates with call center, with the boots on the ground. It's super simple, but yeah, that's how my business you know, functions. When you say it's super simple, I mean, would you say it's like more simple than what you had the experience with the single family rentals or just different? Different. Yes and no. It's funny when Mike Wagner, again, the guy that I learned storage from, I remember talking to him on the phone before I dove into storage and I'm like, you know, I, I really want something that isn't as passive as investing in single family rentals. He kind of laughed. He's like, you're probably the only person to say that. But with four right. single family rentals, what was I doing? I was collecting a check once a month. And if someone had a plumbing issue, I'd call the plumber. 
which was rare with Ford rentals. But obviously, as you scale, that work is going to become a full-time job. And tenants are a full-time job. With storage, it is a business. But since I have a call center that answers the calls during the day, yeah, it is more work if you're doing everything yourself. But technically, it's the same as rentals. I've got a property management team. It's the same as if you've got rentals and you got a property manager. It's same, but it's not the same. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, if you have third-party managers taking care of stuff, that will make it more passive. But it is funny how you say you want something more hands-on. You know, A lot of people are interested in getting into real estate to kind of have less hands and be more passive. And obviously, storage has that capacity to it because you can do a lot of it remotely. You can hire third-party management. You can automate a ton of stuff. You're using a lot of software, a lot of technologies and automations. So it's easy storage solutions is what they're called. They're a call center and software, and they do a few other services. But yeah, that's what I use them for. It's super basic, super simple. It's great for, and I feel like I'm uh, <laughs> on a sales pitch here for self-storage, <laughs> but it's great for new storage owners. As you grow and scale, there are better software packages out there, companies out there. I just haven't made that switch yet. I'm overdue, but haven't made that switch yet. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of like automating, you have like lock systems that are electronic and you know security and things like that, where people can just come in and come out on their own. They don't need physical keys and stuff. Yeah. So yes, at the gate, I mm-hmm. have that. I have keypads at the gate and the gate integrates with the software. So what's nice is, and what's time consuming for people who don't have this, if someone's late, if they're 10 days late, I lock them out at the gate and it automatically happens through the software. Before this, we'll call it five, eight years ago, before this technology, you'd have to have someone go out there and say, okay, here's the 15 units that are past due. I've got to put my overlock on the actual unit. Mm -hmm. That's cumbersome. That's really time consuming. So I don't have to do that. So yeah, they're locked out of the gate. And then to kind of parlay there, when someone rents a unit, they get a text message and an email, they can do this online. They can do this at the gate on their phone if they want. They get a text message that says their gate code, what unit they have. And then I put simple combination locks on their unit and they'll get the code for that combination lock. Mm -hmm. And then they bring their own lock. So it's super simple. Technology has completely changed storage. And I'm relatively new to it, but I would say past five to eight years, technology has completely changed how storage runs and operates. For sure. And I know many storage owners even have those electronic locks on the units themselves, which makes it even yeah. more you know, available because even if someone does get past the gate somehow, they can't get into their unit unless, you know, unless they pay. So that's something you yep. maybe consider for the future, but that's awesome. I mean, time flies over here, John. I don't know how this has happened, but I want to transition now to the final four. These four questions I ask all my guests. First question to you is what is the worst job that you ever had? Yeah, I love these questions. I hate to say worst job because you learn everything at anything you do in all walks of life, right? I did have a job where I worked at Pizza Hut at a truck stop in high school. I did did learn that much. I ate a lot of food. So yeah, that was probably the worst job because I worked evening, late evening. Yeah, that was probably my worst job. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like pretty rough. And you were just, were you delivery or you were just, no, it was at a truck stop. So you were just working the... Yeah, super small Pizza Hut, you know, People mm-hmm. working, sometimes just myself working at a time. But yeah, making pizzas. Making pies. Yeah, making pies. It, again, it, for high school, I, I liked it because I'd make my own food and eat it. And it was right. part pretty slow, but it was a, still at a truck stop and not the greatest job. That's interesting. 
Sounds like it. I mean, like you said, you learn from everything. So you got to learn from that experience as well. In high school is an early time, but I'm sure you picked up some skills there. Yep. <laughs> Second question is, what's a book you've read that's given you a paradigm shift? Yeah. It's hard to pick one, but in the past year, The Big Leap, and if you haven't read it, I suggest it. It helps transform your thinking, especially if you're trying to make a big leap in your life, whether that's relationships, business, whatever it is. There were pages in the book where I had to read like a page at a time just to have things sink in. The biggest thing that sticks out is whenever we get success, some type of success, whether it's business, relationships, whatever, it's kind of human nature to think, okay, what negative is going to happen in my life to bring me back down? Mm -hmm. And it's a real thing. It happens. So yeah, the book kind of walks you through that, talks about how to get through that. And it's a human thing that we all deal with. Sounds like a good one. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes if anyone wants to check out The Big Leap. Definitely going to be on my book list as many books often do, but I got a really long book list at this point. So (laughs) one at a time. Fourth, third question, what's a skill or talent that you would like to learn? And this could be anything. Yeah, I want to speak more. So I appreciate you having me on because this helps. I'd say two-ish years ago, maybe a little bit more, I was terrified of public speaking. Even this would, I would be up at night and not be able to sleep the night before. (laughs) Now I'm comfortable. I enjoy this. I've realized that the more I can speak on my experience and my story, I don't want it to sound egotistical, but I know that sharing it may help at least one other person. So that's why I do it. So yeah, just public speaking in general, just because I know how much value it does provide other people. That's great. And it is a skill. So it's something you got to put some time into to really get good at it. And practice is one thing that helps, you know? So there's some great books out there also on different speaking, public speaking skills. So if you got any, in fact, one that we've mentioned a few times on this show before, one of my favorite books on the topic is something called Steal the Show. Yeah. Great book by Michael Port. Okay. You know, one of the most famous public speakers out there and great book just in general, talks a lot about different skills you need and just how to do it right. So yeah, there you go. Another resource for you there. Fourth and final question, John, what does success mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question. It's tough because I think it changes too. I know success for me is starts with family. I want to have a great relationship with my wife and kids. That's number one. So that's success. And then business success too is important to me. A lot of people will say it's not about the money. Money's definitely a factor. If you don't have it, it's absolutely a factor. So money is a factor. I'm not going to say I'm successful or not successful because of money, but it is a factor. But I enjoy getting value-add businesses, turning them around and making them successful or at least somewhat successful. To me, that's success business-wise. That's important. Obviously, you know, relationships, kind of a, a true testament to your success because if you're focused just on the money or just in the business, unfortunately, you end up losing or breaking or uh, you know hurting a lot of those relationships. So if you can balance that and do it right, focus on what's most important. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Money is important because it can solve a lot of problems, but it's not the key. That's for sure. That's what I would say. I'm not trying to <laughs> you know argue with your, your definition there, but I love the fact that everyone has their own unique look at this definition. And you're absolutely right. It does change from time to time. And as you grow and develop, and so this definition might be different for you five years from now. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I know yeah. it's changed in the past year, two years for sure. Wow. So finally, John, where can our listeners find you or reach out to you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, John Farling. That's probably the best and easiest way to find me. I'm not a huge social media person. I don't have a huge company or anything out there. So yeah, Facebook, you can find me on there. 
No, that's great. I mean, listen, it's amazing that what you're doing, you just found a niche, you found something you're good at, found something you enjoy and business that you've built and continue to grow. So, you know, still, you don't need to have, just goes to show, you don't need to have this big social media presence and all this stuff just to, to be successful. Some people think you do, but you're showing them the right way to do it. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, it has been a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time out today and joining us on the show. And definitely got a lot of pleasure from this, learned a lot and I hope to hope you have me back someday. Yeah. Appreciate the value you're putting out there. I'm, you know, I'm sure you're changing lives just with this podcast. Thank you. Well, I hope so. Guys, if you're listening to this and you think we're changing lives, let us know. <laughs> let us know in the comments, you know, connect to us on social media, leave a review and let us know what you think about the podcast. And remember until next time, the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick, I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.